You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. So, my name is Tamsin Rose and I'm a senior fellow with Friends of Europe and I'm delighted to see so many of you here today uh, to be part of the Café Crossfire where we're going to be addressing the issue of coping with antimicrobial resistance. Just to remind you all, I'm sure many of you have been to Friends of Europe events before, the format of the Café Crossfire is we have a number of expert speakers who will make just a short five-minute introductory statement and then the floor is open for you because this is designed to be an exchange so that we go away having learned something, taken away new points of view and generated new thinking between us. So you will be expected to do some work and I hope you've enjoyed having a sandwich or something to eat and are ready to grapple with the issue of antimicrobial resistance, which is truly one of the big challenges we have to deal with. So just to again remind you that Friends of Europe has a platform, a debating platform called Debating Europe, where members of the public look at different issues of the day and put forward some questions. And we have had three questions submitted from the audience, and I'd like to put them to you today because I think they give us an idea of what people are wondering about this issue of antimicrobial resistance. So the first question comes from David in the UK, and he asks, are we tackling the problem of antibiotic resistance together as a planet, or are different governments all doing their own thing? Now, of course, that's a critical question when we understand how antimicrobial resistance grows through development, trade flows, our global food connections, all add to antimicrobial resistance. So it's really important that we as a planet get together and do something. So we're asked that question, and our panellists will pick up on this. Georgia from Bulgaria asks, what's plan B? What ne new technologies are there out there who could replace antibiotics? In other words, could we get rid of the problem by finding a, another technology quick fix? And Robert from Hungary reminds us, let's not lose perspective. Sanitation, hand washing and vaccination are much more effective than antibiotics, so we should be focusing some of our attention there. So these are the three questions that we had put forward by the general public when we asked them about what Europe should be doing on antimicrobial resistance. So I'd now like to introduce uh, my panel to you, and I must pass... The apologies of Wolfgang Philipp from the European Commission, who is unable to be with us today, but he has sent his colleague, Mr. Charles Price, who I'm sure will do an excellent job in feeding in the information from the Commission's position. So we have on our panel um, Christian Silvio Buzoy, who is a member of the European Parliament and particularly on the Committee on Industry, Research and Energy. We have Francesco Colombo from the OECD Health Division, and she's that, the head of that division. Mr. Jean Lang, who's the Associate Vice President at Sanofi Pasteur, with the responsibility of research and development. And of course, Mr. Charles Price from the European Commission, from the um, Unit of Preparedness in Health. So, let me start by passing the floor to Francesca Colomba from the OECD. Just give us a picture how big of an issue is antimicrobial resistance? In other words, how worried should this room be? Um, very worried. Uh, I think we should. And uh, to answer also like the question, the very first question, are we tackling these things together as a planet? Well, probably not. Otherwise, we would not be here really discussing uh, the, the sides of the problem. And it's quite huge. I mean, if you think at an, inf uh, an infection with resistance, it really double the probability of, of uh, uh, dying and the risk of, of death. And we know that uh, um, in a year, even just in a year, having uh, uh, infections uh, which are resistance in a hospital adds uh, costs in the order of 6.2 billion in Europe alone. So this is just to give money to the, uh, the, uh, of the problem. There are uh, lots of estimates also around there on how many uh, people die from uh, uh, infections every year and how many will die into the future if we do nothing. We're talking about like 10 million possible deaths in, in the future. So what we can do and perhaps the way of thinking about antimicrobial resistance is really thinking in three uh, pillars. Uh, the first one has to do, obviously, with promoting a more rational use uh, of uh, uh, antimicrobials. And it has to do, yes, with some old technologies, uh, hygiene, uh, wash, washing the hands, doing those things which 
are effective and cost-effective, but it has to do also with uh, upscaling some of the other interventions. For example, think about the stewardship programs, which are programs really to help the professionals uh, uh, doing uh, and prescribing antiverkumbrons when it's really needed and trying to do in their part of the job. We look at the OECD, for example, at what would be the effect, we model what would be the effect and the cost-effectiveness of these uh, interventions, and they are indeed extremely cost-effective. Uh, cost uh, if we upscale, for example, um, this, uh, this type of uh, uh, stewardship interventions in 80% of the hospitals uh, in Europe and in the largest uh, OECD countries, uh, well, what we do is that we have the probability of uh, uh, dying because of the infection. So we're talking about big numbers uh, here. So that's the first thing. The second thing is really the innovation. And uh, it's not a surprise, the pipeline of innovation is drying up. Uh, we have uh, an R&D productivity challenge, and this is because of uh, different reasons. But first, it's, uh, it's quite complex uh, to develop new antibiotics, and I'm sure you're going to elaborate uh, quite, quite a lot of that. So there is really a research issue. There are also uh, duplications uh, in, in efforts on the research side. But fundamentally, there is also lack of investment on the development size, on the bringing to market, on all the pool incentives. So, for example, in OECD, we have uh, tried to count how much is spent on this uh, R&D pipeline, and we have seen that some 90% is spent on the research side, critical, obviously, because of the difficulties in the research, but uh, a very small proportion um, is spent on the pool side, really on the development incentives for uh, bringing things to the market. And thirdly, we should not uh, uh, forget the access issues. Okay, in Europe, of course, if there is a new antibiotics, perhaps access is not such a, such a big issue, we might think. But remember that antimicrobial resistance is a global um, phenomenon. And if people in low, middle-income countries do not have access because of costs, because of uh, health systems which are not very develop well developed to uh, the new uh, antimicrobials which are developed, well, then there is a risk that uh, infections might travel uh, the way throughout the world. So those are my uh, points, like three main uh, areas in which I think we need to make uh, uh, significant uh, progress. Thank you, Francesca. You, you, you really described to us, you know, just how bad things could get if we can't get a handle on this. And as you said, you know, there's been some global understanding, there's been some global efforts, but you've identified for us you know, these three areas we need to be better at. And certainly, I, as an individual, I'd be very happy to know that I could halve my risk of death if there was better stewardship of antibiotics in hospitals. You know, that's, uh, that's something I'd certainly love to see happening. But now let me turn um, to Jean Lang from uh, Sanofi. You're a company that's obviously involved in some of these things. Um, We've heard there's an R&D productivity challenge, and the question that we were asked from the public said, well, you know, hand-washing, vaccinations, antibiotics, sometimes a lot of these issues get mixed up. Help us understand where antibiotics fit in the broader picture of infection control, and then why is it so hard? Yes, thank you. Uh, good question. Uh, so I'm very happy to have been invited by Friends of Europe here. My, I'm an MD and PhD. I dedicated my pharma industry career into development of uh, new vaccine mainly. And I've been in charge uh, and I'm co-chairing uh, something very important that reflects how we really think together, not only the private on one side and the public on the other side, you know, the classical silo, the public dealing with public health and the private sector dealing with business only know we are trying now to move collectively because as a vaccine company, we, have a, we are a partner in public health. And we do think that through the how, through public-private partnerships, this is the critical type of alliance we need to look together. So to get back to the topic you said, I think you can't dissociate the research challenges from how you will do that from the even some pharmacoeconomic incentives, as, as uh, the previous speaker also mentioned. AMR, it's a silent pandemic. It's, it's something that doesn't have a face like Ebola, like Zika. This is something we are more and more will all suffer. Uh, the, the, the pharmacoeconomic loss is absolutely there. It's a global public health emergency, and we need collectively, as responsible citizens, both the private sector and R&D, which I belong, and also in the public sector. All low, 
hanging fruits in terms of antibiotics have been already collected. Now what we face are the fruits in terms of antibiotics that are higher in the trees. As it has been said, we also need to commit to better stewardship, better use of antibiotics. We cannot treat any mild viral infections by giving antibiotics. This is no more relevant, and we know that we increase antibiotic and IMR. We make things worse. So the antibiotics that we have led to develop are much more complex, higher in the tree, much more challenging. And to reflect that, there was only two new classes of antibiotics in the last 30 years. So these are super drugs that need to be used, of course, uh, with narrow indications after having target product profile. So the pharmacoeconomic incentive from a business developer point of view is not there. So we need, again, to act collectively and find new models, whether push. So we work uh, among 100 industry in something called the IMR uh, International Alliance, Industry Alliance, and we, we, we try to think uh, some commitment in terms of stewardship, better use of the current antibiotics, even, even training. We also look at uh, uh, access. Access is critical. We, we, are living, we are living in a global world. So we can't ignore that antibiotic resistance is eating very hard low- and middle-income countries. All of our company have access programs in place so that we have special prices, special conditions, special environment to ease the appropriate use of antibiotics in uh, all these countries. Research and science, I get to your questions, is really critical. We need new antibiotics, we knew, but not only antibiotics. We need to consider the, what we call the ecosystem of that. Just taking a very simple example that will all speak to you, Ebola. Ebola, everyone can rush into the fact that we need an Ebola vaccine. Of course, we need an Ebola vaccine. Vaccine is very efficient. But the primary cause of the Ebola epidemics was inefficiency of the public health, primary care. And you know we control Ebola in Africa because something as simple as toilets has been implemented. So vaccines, antibiotics, diagnostics are absolutely essential drugs. But as it has been said, you have to consider holistically what the appropriate measures so looking at AMR, antibiotics are what we need primarily, but there is not only antibiotic. We need, as I said, to act on both current use, stewardship, better use, appropriate use, sustainable use, and developing new antibiotics. But on the other end, we know that was probably the most bacterial resistant and viral resistant in terms of tool or vaccines. And the first thing to do, perhaps, is to think about increasing vaccination coverage. We know that increasing flu vaccination coverage could have a very efficient use on antibiotic consumptions on side viral illnesses or even bacterial side infections. And we know also with vaccines, we have a herd immunity. When you vaccinate someone, it will not benefit, but also you will decrease carriage. So increasing vaccination coverage for AMR, it's exactly the reverse of antibiotic, which we use, as I say, stewardship, so perhaps appropriate use, but vaccines are really critical. Diagnosis. Di diagnosis is also very important. It's, it's often pocketed in the vaccine antibiotics. They are in the AMR industry alliance that was just uh, cleared uh, last week. Diagnosis are part of that, diagnostic company, because it really used appropriate usage because you can diagnose what, whether you have uh, an infection that is relevant for your antibiotics. You can even stop the infections to limit the antibiotic treatment. All of these measures are complex to develop. They take time. We really need, again, that will be perhaps my conclusion, new, strong, even stronger public-private partnerships. So just an example, I think uh, IMI in Europe, which really paved the way, settled the foundations for what they call the new drug for bad bugs, which composed of different projects looking at the value spectrum of antibiotic development from antibiotic and germ entry tra translocations to enable developing new discovery antibiotics to come back to, to IIBC and, 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 and so forth. And we are just reflecting on how Europe, public uh, sector and public-private partnerships, associating industry, 
will move together into a new form of AMR accelerator that needs impetus and commitment, not only from the private sector, but the public sector, because it's time. It's time to act and to act quick. Okay. Thank you. I mean, you, you've, you, you've given us an understanding of how AMR fits into this broader infection control. You've mentioned the importance of hygiene, hand washing, how we need almost opposite approaches to vaccination and antibiotics. We need to guard our antibiotics carefully and use them sparingly, and we need to vaccinate as many people as possible. So that's a really simple take-home message that I'll, I'll have. Let me now turn to Charles Price from the European Commission. So AMR occupies quite a lot of your daytime thinking, I imagine, um, while you're sitting in the Commission. We've heard that it's time to really get moving. It's still an urgent issue. We've been asked... Are we doing this alone? Is there a global effort? The Commission have already put out their One Health strategy, linking agriculture and human health, and that's a good start. But can you give us more insight into what the Commission is doing now, where you see the next bits of progress to come from? Yes, absolutely. It is on. <coughs> yes, absolutely, Tamsin. Um, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you very much to Friends of Europe for convening this meeting and for such a, a marvellous turnout of people who are involved in the AMR uh, challenge, both from Parliament, from member states. I can see members of Cabinet from the Commission here, uh, and obviously colleagues from OECD and uh, the pharmaceutical industry, both of which the Commission is very happy to be in partnership with in this uh, struggle. Commissioner Andrew Kaitis, the EU Commissioner for Health, who is himself a doctor, a surgeon, has called this one of the greatest global health challenges facing us in the 21st century. He says that we need to act now if we're not going to head off into what he's called the unthinkable catastrophe that much of the medicine and the technologies which come with that medicine, particularly surgery, but also chemotherapy, modern childbirth, could become threatened by the new breed of bacteria which are resistant to all the classes of drugs which have been invented so far. That's the catastrophe potentially facing the world and he has been steadfast in his determination to put this as a number one priority for his term and brought out the action plan that you mentioned, Tamsin. We're not, of course, starting from square one. Um, EU member states have been struggling with this issue, really, I would say, for about 20 years. Since the last classes of antibiotics were invented which was in the last century, in the 1980s. Some of them came into market later. They've been struggling with this challenge, and some of them have been successful in cutting inappropriate antibiotic use, which, I'm sorry to say, in European medicine today is still approaching 50% of the antibiotics used in human health are prescribed inappropriately. And in animal health, the figure is even higher. But other parts of the EU haven't been so successful, and we have examples of increasing levels of multi-resistant infection which cause an increasing number of deaths and disability. Secondly, the Commission has, uh, with the Parliament and the Council support, introduced effective legislation to reduce the use of antibiotics as growth promoters. That's more stopped in the EU since 2007, which has not been the case in our major, many of our major trading partners. And that's been accompanied also on the animal health side by a very big program of better animal welfare to reduce prevention, pre prevent infections. The same, similar things have been happening on the human side. Of course, the EU is not responsible for... Uh, the health services and medical care, that rests with member states. 
Um, the Commission's action has been supporting uh, the sharing of information, the combating of cross-border threats. AMR is a cross-border threat. Patients being transferred from hospitals, staff moving from place to place, transmit the resistant infections, food also. Um, and also in the research field where we've launched the largest, I think, public-private partnership initiative, over 600 million euros, I believe, invested in the Innovative Medicines Initiative. A lot of that is in the uh, pharmacy, the area of new antimicrobials. We're committed to do a lot more, but we need a new action plan and a new renewed vigour. Um, Jessica Colombo has quite rightly referred to the need really for much more urgent action because we know what needs doing and yet a lot of it is not being done enough. We know that infection prevention and control is substandard, I'm sorry to say, in many parts of the European health system. And we, we need to support, from the Commission's side of things, uh, member states and health systems who act better on that. We've talked about the new, and we're going to talk more about the need for investment in new antimicrobials. And yes, we absolutely need stronger partnerships globally. Uh, to tackle those uh, issues uh, worldwide. Um, I think we can say briefly and finally on the three questions that the Commission is uh, totally committed to using the tools it has to combat AMR, including acting as uh, a responsible member of the planet in concert with our major partners and in support of low- and middle-income countries. Secondly, that we don't think there's a necessity for Plan B. We need to focus on all paths at once, including vaccination and diagnostics, as well as new anti antimicrobials. And we absolutely agree with what's been said already and with the third questioner on the importance of prevention of infection as uh, a, an essential plank of this uh, struggle. Thank you. Thank you for that, Charles. Now let me turn to the European Parliament. Um, the, you, you sit on the industry committee, which obviously is, is going to be interested in looking at how the uh, industry responses could address this. And we've heard there's a need, it's urgent, more action is required. There's some work that needs to be done around the incentives, because at the moment they're unequal, 90% on the research, only 10% on, on the pull factor. Uh, we've heard about the, the fact that you know it, it is also part of a broader aspect of hygiene, prevention control, infection control, where we still need to do work across the EU. How is the Parliament picking up on this issue and trying to help move the agenda forward? Thank you very much. Uh, ITRA is not only about industry, it's also about uh, research. And I uh, seated many years in MV as uh, having a medical background myself. So uh, the issue is, uh, is very important, and I think that uh, the Parliament is really committed in order to uh, help to solve the problem. First of all, I would also like, uh, as my colleagues, uh, and uh, uh, really to, to thank you for, for being here, and I'm honored to be again uh, in a debate here uh, with Friends of Europe. And uh, the format is very interesting because it's a lot of interaction. And uh, the issue is extremely important but because we are talking about uh, an increasing public uh, health threat with uh, maybe around 10 million people globally dying uh, from... Uh, causes related to antimicrobial resistance. Of course, uh, one of the main uh, causes, uh, and the Parliament is very aware about this, is the misuse of antibiotics. Is already, it was already explained, uh, uh, particularly the systematic or excessive use of antibiotics, but it's not uh, the only one, and uh, you had a question there, uh, if we are losing the perspective. No, we are not losing the perspective. But of course, it's not only about new antibiotics, it's also about sanitation. It's also about improving uh, uh, poor economic, uh, uh, economic uh, uh, and hygienic conditions in many places, mainly in hospitals, but also in the communities. It's also uh, due to some neglected or uh, some poverty-related uh, diseases like AIDS, tuberculosis, malaria, which uh, are spreading rapidly due to the resistance but also to lack of uh, proper treatment 
and this is something that we have to, to tackle. And here it was the example of uh, Ebola, Mr. Lang uh, gave this example. Uh, sometimes it's about uh, health systems which should uh, work uh, decently, if not uh, uh, properly. European Parliament in this mandate uh, really addressed uh, this uh, issue. We had in 2015 uh, a report, uh, which I know well because I was uh, the uh, shadow for my political group, for EPP, called the Pedicini Report uh, about uh, improving patient safety and fighting uh, antimicrobial resistance. We have a very good uh, action plan, one health action plan with a lot of concrete measures uh, issued by European Commission, which is now debated in the Parliament. We had the first debate uh, in ITRE, and uh, soon we'll have uh, the main debate uh, in ENVI. ITRE, uh, Industry and Research Committee uh, opinion, focuses on uh, existing funding investments and also the need to increase funds, but also to support uh, sustainable incentives. And IMI, it's an incentive which could be also used for uh, this area of new antibiotics, new vaccines. I also uh, uh, table some amendment. Uh, I would like to see more encourage the private public, uh, public-private partnerships, and also to find some uh, new tools, uh, innovative tools, in order to 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 support and to incentive innovation, like transferable market exclusivities, but not only could be other uh, issues also uh, uh, found, uh, other solutions found. Uh, we need multi-sectorial approach. Uh, uh, the Commission is also calling in its uh, action plan a multi-sectorial approach. Uh, new antibiotics, new vaccines. Vaccines are uh, of particular importance because uh, always prevention is uh, uh, better and uh, also more economically intelligent. Uh, and uh, not so expensive as treating a disease. And uh, besides new vaccines, also we'll have to tackle the campaigns against vaccination. I'm sure uh, that uh, this is a reality in most of your countries, at least in Central and East European countries. And Romania, my country, I can face this, and I try to be very active in the public debate and give the opposite arguments. But I see a lot of uh, anti-vaccination campaigns in the online, and uh, we need... Uh, more uh, more uh, commitment in order to explain to uh, citizens that uh, uh, not all the arguments there are, are true. M most of them are false. They are fake news or at least are very much exacerbated. Uh, so the European Parliament uh, could uh, join forces in order to uh, be sure that... Uh, uh, more money will be for research uh, in the next framework program, at least for this field, to support uh, uh, adjacent uh, initiatives and new uh, tools in order to boost innovation, improve legislation in the field, and uh, here uh, we have uh, legislation at European level, and not to forget, uh, always when you're talking about health, that uh, most of the answers, most, most of the power is at the level of member states. Because this is the decision uh, taken by treaties. This is the reality with different health systems. So uh, we could uh, call from European Parliament, from European Commission, from European uh, level to member states to, to act uh, more uh, energically. Uh, but uh, we have also to go there and convince national and sometimes, in some cases, uh, regional authorities uh, to act uh, more uh, uh, clearly and with more energy in this field. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you. Now let me open it up to the floor. We, we've heard different uh, elements put on the table. Can I see a chair of hands? We've got, we've got a couple of questions over there and one more over here. Okay. I, I, I'd written down four questions in case the room was quiet, but clearly I won't need them. All right. Let, where are my microphones? Back. We'll start here. I have two questions over here. And then I'll be coming to this side. I was starting with the lady in red, but we have two hands up. Yes. If you could Should briefly just, up? yes. Okay. Tell us your name, where you work for, and keep your questions quite brief, because this is a hot room today. Right. <laughs> uh, my name is Dimitri Anikel. I'm working for Médecins Sans Frontières. Uh, we already have patients in our projects with um, infections of uh, drug-resistant bacteria. Um, first of all, thank you for the explanation and also for addressing particularly the access for lower and middle income countries, which is of concern for us, obviously, as Médecins Sans Frontières. 
Um, as questions, I, I have actually two questions. One is, what are some of the obstacles in uh, the research um, on antibiotics and how can these obstacles be overcome by the EU, the support of the EU? And secondly, I want to touch upon a point on the transferable market exclusivity which was made. Uh, what does it entail and how do you see the link with the access to the lower and middle income countries which was raised before? Thank you. Okay. Great. Do you want to pick up on the uh, answer those those questions because they may be quite fast to answer. What is the what's the block in research and what can the EU do about it? Jean, do you want to pick up on that? I think, uh, as I say, it's uh, we did we have not entered into life cycle uh, of uh, new antibiotics because of this challenge. Before having a solution, we need to understand and uh, the mechanisms are in place. We have a good understanding of the physiopathological mechanism for uh, antimicrobial resistance. We need to focus our resources, whether joint public and private resources and priorities. So we, and that something we work with, that uh, we work with the academic sector because they are the one to issue the, the priorities. Based on that, we know that TB, for example, is certainly a priority for the next year and the future with having a European Commission priority. We, we know, for example, that working on the TB vaccine is extraordinarily challenging. So several of us have candidates that fail after, after phase two. We work on, uh, on promising. Uh, so for example, for Sanofi, we have Rifampitin that, uh, Rifapantin, sorry, working on latent tuberculosis. So we are still rediscovering some drugs around as, as we progress along the mechanism of action. So basic science, academic science work together with applied science here. And as I say, we have a shrinking of the technology use. There might be new technology around uh, like monoclonal antibodies, like B-specific, tri-specific. We just published something around HIV uh, that, that needs to be considered. So as I say, we cannot rely on a magic bullet that will kill all possible antibiotics that uh, after a eureka scream by a scientist somewhere in a lab. We need to work all collectively together and applying the best science, whether from the public sector and academia, whether from the applied sector, and, 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 and form a critical mass because for the industry like us working that, we need to form a public mass and a critical mass. And this is where our public-private partnership, when joint force with scientists, we share the same passion, the same ambitions towards science, to, towards we just work together in a constraint where you see we need to have some return on investments as private investment in there and working along the line. So I will, uh, that's okay. in this sense. You want to address the... Uh, yes, uh, the transferable uh, market exclusivity is a pool, uh, a type of pool mechanism that uh, grants the new antibiotic uh, authorization holder additional uh, months uh, of additional market exclusivity that can be transferred to another compound if this compound is uh, proven to be more successfully commercially. But of course, in order to, to do this, uh, you need to define a priori the length of uh, the extension because otherwise uh, will not be accepted by the public. Uh, we, you ha we have to be sure that we, have, we will distribute this uh, exclusively among diverse compounds, and each compound could have uh, one uh, this transferable uh, market exclusivity only once, only once. And of course, uh, we have to assure public disclosure uh, of target compound for this uh, TME authorization. But uh, it's uh, not so costly for health systems because uh, uh, the impact is uh, much smaller. We are not talking about upfront payments, and also it's more uh, predictable, more long-term predictable uh, than uh, reimbursement policies, for instance, because uh, in many EU countries, reimbursement policies and the reimbursement uh, criteria are uh, very much changing in, uh, uh, after a small amount of time. It's a kind of uh, mechanism that could be imagined in order to boost uh, and improve innovation. 
Thank you, Francesca. Just, just to add, of course, I mean, we were talking about pool incentives. There are many, many different types of pool incentives, and I think there is definitely a need to be very concrete. What are the type of pool incentives? How big is the size of the incentive that is needed? And then do we need um, patent buyout? Do we need extension uh, of patents? Or do we need a price? Uh, do, do we need, you know, the mechanism like, like the ones you described? So there, there, there can be many, many different ones, but there needs to be a very concrete uh, starting really to, to uh, describe them and understand you know, uh, how much is the size of the incentive that is needed. You wanted to add something, John? Uh, ju just just to, uh, to add that this uh, transfer patent exclusivity, it's a new pearl incentive that we do think as developers will be extremely welcome and part of the basket of new pool incentive that could give a really a sustainability to our life as antibiotic, as vaccine developer against IMR. And as an industry alliance, we really support these new measures to have pool sustainable incentives, beside the push like the market and rewards and that we would just mention. Okay, thank you. Let's take on this side, and then I'll be coming back. There was another gentleman and another lady at the back. Yes. Yes, Ivana Holovkova. I, I spent years in the pharmaceutical industry. I am an MD physician, uh, infectious disease physician, and working for French Immunology Society. I am very happy to hear that you mention also TB because it was omitted from the list of the World Health Organization, the 27th, which is, uh, but then it was re-mentioned. And I'm very happy to hear about the vaccine agree with you that the problem is first global. It's not only about the Europe. So my question is how to put it on the global program. It was in the agenda of economic meetings like G7, G20 might be in Davos. So how you, we are going to ensure this global issue in the economic agenda, in the regulatory agenda. And the second point is that there are the antibodies, there are the vaccine, there are the microbiota research, diagnostic, so how to address that the multiple access to tackle AMIER are covered also while discussing the regulators because they are incentive, but also the regulatory frames how to design appropriately the research, diagnostic to be included, and again, to be covered globally. Because you mentioned Ebola, but the, as said, the surveillance is global. We are in the interdependent world. So the Indian pathogen, we work a lot with India, are in the UK. So I think that the part of the question to be ready, prepared to have the first fed data, it's a global surveillance. So two part of the question, how to ensure that there is a strategy in the economic and regulatory agenda. And the second, how to ensure that all the access to tackle AMIR are addressed. Okay, thank you. So maybe I'll ask Charles to pick up from the, the point of view, you know, what the commission is doing as a regulatory body in the global picture, the relationships you have with other parts of the world. And maybe, Francesca, would you like to pick up the issue about this is now on the global economic agenda. How do we keep it up there and make sure this conversation goes beyond the OECD formats? I mean, the short answer is in the human public health field, there's very little regulatory work that the Commission yep. does, and even less with other parts of the world. What the EU's role there is, is as an advocate, which I think we've been very successful through our membership of the G7, G20, through the Commissioner Andrew Carter's went to the United Nations in New York. We uh, pushed for this issue and successfully with our partners, uh, both within the EU and internationally. Yeah. And secondly, as a funder, we're the world's one of the world's largest funders of development cooperation assistance and here we are supporting the development of whole economies with a pro-poor uh, emphasis with the development of whole systems approach to health systems and within that of course the implementation of the international health regulations which uh, will help to address not only AMR issues, but also the other issues like Ebola and other health threats which have severely undermined the economies and the health of low and middle income countries. So I think that it's not the regulatory so much, uh, though just in parenthesis, we have said in our new action plan that we will be working 
more strongly with our economic partners on the food side to both advocate and in some cases insist on uh, better uh, attention to the stewardship of antimicrobials in the food chain and, and in animal health. And so I'm not an expert in that field, but uh, our intention is clear, I think, in the action plan and in, and in the statements by Commissioner Andrew Curtis and others. Thank you. Francesca? Yeah, just to add briefly, I think there is a lot which is going on globally uh, already. I mean, the, the German uh, G20 obviously had antimicrobial resistance agenda. The Argentinians are picking it up, although it's uh, still unclear exactly what, uh, what they're going to be wanting to achieve, but it does remain in that agenda. In every G7 ministerial discussing Arctic mercury resistance was uh, uh, always there. There is a, a UN interagency uh, collaboration uh, uh, you know, mechanism which has uh, been uh, uh, set up. So there are really quite a lot of things uh, that, that happen. For me, the question will be how to become now much more concrete to make certain things work. And I mean, I picked up the issues of innovations because if we don't have new class of antibiotics, uh, obviously at some point all the efforts will lead to very little indeed. So that's really a, a urgent uh, issue to be addressed because it will take time to set up the right incentives and then to go and walk through the difficulties of uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the science uh, uh, you know, hurdles, the attrition rates and so forth, getting all the way to, uh, to the development uh, sites. And meanwhile, of course, there is also a need to do much more in terms of uh, um, global surveillance. Uh, so in the EU context, obviously, there is quite a lot which is, um, which is monitored in terms of infectious diseases, but uh, what is done could be extended to more hospitals, to more you know, institutions beyond the hospital sectors, to more resistance and bacteria. So even from what we do have already, we can perhaps deepen in and zoom in start working also on these anti-sites, uh, you know, on hand washing, changing behavior of uh, doctors. I think that's something that, yes, it's a global issue, but it does require them going very micro to, uh, to address the issues. So. Thank you. Um, I'd like to welcome Mr. Pitale, a member of the parliament, um, here to our debate, and I know you'd like to input on this. Can we get a microphone to Mr. Pitale there? The microphone's coming from the side. Thank you. Thank you very much for the floor. Uh, I'm pleased to attend the third uh, conference dedicated to this uh, very important and challenging subject. Uh, we had uh, one event uh, in the European Parliament, uh, and uh, I know or I understand the accent of new antibiotics, uh, but uh, I would like to emphasize that there is also probiotic site, uh, and uh, I attended two Conferences where uh, distinguished uh, representatives of uh, different universities uh, uh, acquainted us with the results of different research uh, which uh, has proven that probiotics uh, can be very uh, successful uh, in sanitation in the hospital and uh, the figures go to even up to 90%. Uh, and my question is... Uh, uh, enjoying such a large attendance here. Uh, what is the reason that deadline is so weak in getting into market? Okay. Because uh, I, I know the facts which I even don't like to share because, because are politically sensitive uh, and the infections go on. The, the, the uh, number of uh, uh, people who die go also up. Uh, so then I would say, why we don't use what is already known as a solution? Thank you. Okay. What's the answer? Jean, maybe I'm going to come back to you. It's, it's certainly true that one of the headline-grabbing areas of research is all about the microbiome, the importance of bacteria, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, the issue of probiotics, prebiotics. Where does this all fit? I mean, is, are we going to get new breakthroughs? You said there's not going to be a magic bullet in terms of a yeah. new antibiotic. And we've heard, well, maybe we should be looking at the bacteria in other ways, like probiotics. Yeah, probiotics is, uh, is something different from our heavily regulated industry. Uh, most of them are regulated uh, as food supplements. They don't have to exhibit all the stringent and costly preclinical, clinical trials, etc. So they are much lighter environment. So I'm 
maybe a stupid French scientist and physician, but I think the jury is still out to establish the definite value of probiotics. They might be used in case by case, but again, they have to be under the same kind of stringent regulatory and to address the questions we have heavily regulated and in AMR in particular, we benefit from the very nice regulatory environment and we have a lot of measures that uh, let, let's say conditional approval, uh, uh, human efficacy, human challenge trials called control human infection trial, etc. So we have all that. We could improve that to be more flexible and having a structure, for example, that could be deployed very easily so that we test new antibiotics or new drugs much more easily. So regulatory is taking care. And the access piece is also very important because all uh, you know, R&D industry company committed to this access and we, all of us have access program in place with WHO. So the, your, your questions against was around uh, probiotics and? Probiotics, prebiotics, and And microbiome, oh, of course, microbiome, yes. that's, that's a new kid on the it's block. Very We're sexy. all fan of, of microbiome. Uh, it's, it's the concrete application we see as uh, developers within the industry is diabetes. We do think that there is uh, perhaps a lower hanging, fr hanging fruit in the, in the tree, in the microbiome tree, uh, to, to, lo to look after, and we, we just uh, started the project regarding that just to understand before jumping into modifying the microbiome. And I don't know if you know, there is a small biotech which is in fact is selling feces as yeah. a fecal transplant just as a solution for C. diff infection. So it's a new biological model, you know, to store feces, et cetera, in a very rigorous quality manner so that you can transplant that. So, and of course, towards perhaps artificial replacements for uh, this uh, nosocomial infection. So okay. all, all of that microbiome, there is a reflection at the European level as part of the IMI, as perheaded by, by Pierre Merlin, the, the head of IMI. We have a micro, microbiome sessions to see whether there are avenues that academics, of course, academic university are heavily involved. And we, developers, we are trying to see what there is in it, but there is so many avenues so far yep. that it's a bit of a can of worms, and we need to uh, get clear directions to know that our scarce investments are targeted to the most efficient outcome. Well, that's certainly a mantra I think we could all live with in, in terms of health, you know, putting the scarce resources in the areas that have the, the most output. Now, I'm going to need your help because I have about 12 minutes left and I have no less than six hands up from the audience. So let's take as many questions as we can, but keep them short. There's a lady over there in back, and then we'll be coming over. There was a gentleman at the back who I saw earlier. Then they have a lady here, a lady there. So let's go. Thank you. My name is Martina Gliba. I work for Biomario, um, um, in vitro diagnostic company that is world leader on uh, antimicrobial resistance diagnostics. And uh, yes, you said that 30 to 50 or in the animal sector even more antibiotics are inappropriately used. And uh, it's quite clear, I think, for everybody hopefully that uh, you need diagnostic tests in order to mm. make sure that the person who is infected with a bacteria gets an antibiotic with a virus doesn't get an antibiotic, how long to give the antibiotic, and also to develop new antibiotics for the better patient selection, you need to have diagnostics tests. For doing surveillance of antimicrobial resistance, you do need uh, diagnostic tests. Now we have a problem because an antibiotic, large-spectrum antibiotic, costs uh, four euro approximately. An innovative diagnostic test uh, that can tell you within one hour which biotic to, uh, you, do you need costs uh, 50 euros, 100 euros, and isn't reimbursed. So I would like to know from you what Europe can do in order to improve the reimbursement of innovative diagnostic tests to reduce antimicrobial resistance. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to, pick, we're going to take a second question, that gentleman at the back, because we're going to uh, collect them all together. Yes. Aris Kokinos, Eurobol.com. A question on genetically modified organisms. We know that GMOs have a crucial role in antimicrobial resistance, but uh, last year only the EU has accepted the use of six GMOs. So could Mr. Price or anybody help me understand the logic there? Okay, so you, you're, you want to pick up on this issue of potential links between GMOs and antibiotic resistance. Okay, so members of the panel, it's open to all of you, these two questions. We've got a problem of incentives there diagnostics that would help you target more specifically, in other words, use antibiotics effectively, cost a lot more than using a cheap antibiotic. 
So we have major problems of incentives. And also, how do we balance out, maybe this is where we look at the food regulatory issue, that GMOs are being approved and there's some concern that this might link to antibiotic resistance. Maybe that's an issue, um, Christian, I'll come to you on this, because it's a political hot potato. Yes, uh, on GMOs, uh, I can uh, confess that I'm not really an expert. And uh, of course, uh, I'm open uh, on, on, on this, uh, even that I'm sure that uh, a lot of risks are uh, associated. So I'm not sure how much uh, uh, scientific uh, data we have now, unchallenged but by other part of scientific community, that we could link uh, use of GMOs with uh, increasing the antibiotic resistance. But if this will prove to be so, then we'll have to reassess uh, the GMOs because uh, I believe that uh, this issue is very, very, very important and uh, it's uh, very worrying uh, and we, we cannot take any risk. On incentives, of course, this is the, the uh, most important uh, thing that we could do now. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure if we could impose from European level to, to include the diagnosis test, uh, tests in the reimbursement, but we could ask uh, very uh, clearly to, to member states uh, to, to use this, explaining from European level, even given some examples, maybe of some countries which understood already that using uh, this diagnostic test will save money uh, uh, after, in order uh, to decrease uh, the antimicrobial resistance and associated uh, pathologies, to decrease the use of very expensive antibiotics where they are not really needed because uh, this also will lead to other... Uh, uh, so asking, calling from European institutions to, to member states, giving uh, them uh, reasons, giving them uh, examples of countries which uh, did so and the benefits that they could do. On other incentives, of course, we already stated uh, uh, funding from our research programs, uh, associated uh, mechanism, innovative mechanism, as the one that I explained, uh, uh, the discussions about patents. This could be uh, decided at European level, and other incentives could be pressured from European level. Francesca. Just to, to add that, of course, it's a, it's a matter of reimbursement system, but I think there is much more. There is uh, to change really the behavior. So in a number of countries, the diagnostics are reimbursed. But if the doctor just prescribes the, the antibiotics without you know, doing the test, then, uh, then obviously we have an issue. And if the patient goes there with a, you know, an angina of uh, uh, soul right. fruit, and uh, in the doctor prescribing antibiotics, ask the doctor, can you please test if it's a bacteria or, or, or if it's a, a viral. Uh, so, I mean, there is a lot of things that even us individually uh, can do, but, uh, and it's a matter of changing behavior from patients and, uh, and from uh, providers and professionals beyond, obviously, the critical issues of the economic incentives, absolutely. Charles. I mean, my, we've had some very exciting uh, words mentioned in the last uh, 30 minutes on the research side and the prospect of new technology. But for me, I think the truth is that there's a lot of similarity between the AMR problem and the sustainability climate change problem. We can invest, we need to invest, we may get technological solutions. But it's not going to cure things. That's the reality. It's not going to cure it. We can only cure it or in the words, very wise words of the organisers, cope with antimicrobial resistance by behaviour change and by changing the uh, way our health systems and our agricultural systems use these very, very, very precious substances. And if we waste them, we will erode them. Now, the Commission has published EU guidelines on uh, prudent use of antimicrobials in human health, and it's also published guidelines on the prudent use of antimicrobials in uh, veterinary medicine. I commend these to you. They're available in 23 languages. Uh, obviously, guidelines by themselves don't sort anything. It's about the implementation, and that needs to be done through incentives, behavior change, systems change, support for practitioners. But coming to the question, if there's one single gu uh, guideline element that I'd like to pick out is crucial. It's the one 
advice to prescribers only to prescribe antibiotics after appropriate samples have been taken for diagnosis. That, to me, is the single most important uh, action which could change, and we need to change, and it's not rocket science how to change this, um, but we all need to work together to make it happen. Thank you. Let me pick up, uh, bring in a few more questions, and Jean, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute. So I have a lady here, another one there, and then a gentleman on this corner, and then I'll, f I'll close the questions to give our panel a chance to respond. This lady, just here, that's it. Thank you. Elin Crookshanks from Acumen Public Affairs. Um, I was very interested in the getting concrete, um, because we all need to do that. In terms of the funding, uh, it was mentioned by Mr. Bushoy and Mr. Price, obviously the EU is very involved in and a major funder. But what happens next? We have the next MFF. We have, for instance, uh, one of the projects, Drive AB, which was looking at incentives, which has come to a close this year. What comes next in terms of uh, the priorities and the funding for the next stage of AMR? And related to the incentives getting concrete again, um, uh, well, related to the funding as well, the AMR Industry Alliance, I think, has put in two billion, uh, in, in its report it mentioned, put in two billion euros of investment but where's the public funding and how do we get that going and where's it going to come from? Uh, even in, this t in these times when apparently the economy is on the upturn, where is the real funding going to be coming and how much do we really need? Has anybody got any ideas? Okay, thank you. If I could remind you to be brief. Yes. Hello, my name is Christine Hatten. I'm Professor in X and do research on economics of uh, medicine. Um, I'd like to know why you think uh, for 50 years there's been nearly no research or no new molecule for antibiotics. And the second question is on uh, the saturation of uh, antibiotics. You said possibly with the diagnostic test you can help this. Uh, is there any role of regulators to, do, uh, to have ways to uh, fight saturation of antibiotics and prevention of overuse? Uh, I'd like to know. Okay, and we'll have one last question here, and then the panel will close. Hi, my name is <coughs> my name is Willebrock. I'm with the TB Alliance, working together with colleagues from Sanofi and others. Um, I hear a lot about problems, about how bad it is, and I think the field of TB in which I'm working and which we've been investing, under investing for 18 years, has actually shown that if there's a concentrated collaboration where pharmaceutical industry comes together with academia, with non-profits, with governments, not being restricted by artificial guidelines of, oh, I can't work with this because they're in a different country, um, you can build up a new pipeline. There was literally nothing left in the year 2000. Yep. We now have about 30 compounds in development for TB collectively. What if we change the discussion and say we actually know how to do this? I don't think anyone would here say we don't know how to do this. This is a question of money and willingness to actually act. This year we'll have a UNGA, a UN General Assembly, talking about TB and drug-resistant TB. What if all of these incentives that were here, all the work that the EU is doing, put on the table there and say we know how to solve this and we're going to make it happen? Um, create a more positive incentive, back it up obviously with finances and with collaborations. Um, because I think the negative spiral is partly done by us all telling each other how hard it is and not looking at the examples where we've been successful and where we can build upon to actually solve this problem. Thank Great. You. Okay. So, panel, we've got a couple of last points for you to explore. You know, we're uh, highlighting the fact that the industry have come together and we've got this big alliance that's putting money on the table. We've heard that in TB it's gone from the Cinderella disease to having a really promising pipeline coming forward when people step outside their silos, but where's the public funding? And I think I'm going to ask uh, Christian and Charles to pick up on that because we're a year away from a handover of an EU mandate. So how do we keep this issue high on the agenda for the incoming parliamentarians and the new commission? Um, we've been asked, you know, why is it so hard? Why have we had no new molecules for 40 years? I think that's definitely coming to your desk, Jean, to answer. Um, and we want to know, you know, how do we move and make it concrete? And I think this is definitely for you, Francesco, because it's been your mot de jour. Okay, Christian. Yes, very briefly, uh, the, the question is very relevant because uh, it's not only the discussions about new MFF, but it's also about Brexit, which did not uh, uh, have a final uh, conclusion. And, uh, of course, we'll see 
uh, how this gap will be will be filled uh, in terms of financement or will reduce the, the budget. And we have the new costs uh, for uh, uh, anti-immigration policies, for security policies, for anti-terrorist policies. So the situation is true is not clear. But uh, I saw in the parliament a lot of commitments not to, to decrease uh, the research. The research, uh, of course, the cohesion policy is in danger. Uh, it's also another issue to be discussed. But I don't think this money will be taken from the research. It was a discussion when uh, the Juncker plan uh, came, which is a very good plan. It's a very good initiative of the president of the European Commission to take some money from Horizon 2020. Uh, the parliament had a very clear reaction. So I, be, I am optimist, even that it's clear that the situation is not yet uh, decided. And of course, uh, a lot of money is invested by industry. Uh, the public fund, it's not so big, even with uh, Horizon 2020 and other issues. But the money, public money or uh, taxpayers' money or uh, uh, health insurance money will come later with reimbursement policies, with incentive policies. And this is something that we have built as a very predictable and very clear environment in order to give you the certainty that if you invest, you will have, uh, have a reward. And I believe this is the main cause why in the last years no new antibiotic was found because it not, was not a clear incentive like in other areas. And of course, TB could be a very good example and I know that uh, uh, this is the, the, the way to do it. Excellent. Okay, Francesca. Maybe let's just pass uh, across the floor. We, you, you've emphasised that we really need to start yeah. getting concrete. We've had action plans, we've had strategies, we've had recommendations, there's some funding being put in place, we've got an industry alliance. What's stopping us moving forward concretely? That's very concrete. So, I mean, as I said, let's, uh, to be concrete, it means really coming up with something which has uh, numbers, have a con an, an action plan that can be implemented but it, the, and a roadmap for implementation. So, for example... In the issues which I mentioned about the lack of pool incentives, can we really get together, uh, governments on one hand, industry on their hands, and really, you know, start to estimate the size of these uh, uh, of these incentives? How much? How much do companies want? And then we can decide what is the most appropriate way to have it, so whether it's a patent extension, a patent buyout, a prize, or, 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 or whatever, you know. So, but, you know, let's do the calculations. Uh, that's uh, one thing. Um, the other issues on, uh, on more rational use of uh, antibiotics. We know the, the menu. Uh, it's about uh, changing the incentives, so obviously the reimbursement system, obviously then working with providers. Uh, to change their attitudes, working with patients and so forth. Well, that's something for each of us as patients, as working for a government, as uh, interacting with, uh, you know, the health systems and trying to make sure that we set up the incentives and the information for that. So it's, it really can become very, very practical, but requires much more growing granular in what happens in, in each member, member states. But we know for sure that those interventions uh, are cost-effective. Then on the more broadly, even on, on the research side, not the development, the research sides, can we start having a sort of a, um, a virtual uh, you know, fund to understand where all this, you know, money which is spent in research. There is a lot the governments, not just the private sector, but the, the governments do put in, uh, in that research. But there is duplications and lack of coordination. So even, even within Europe, you know, a virtual uh, hub on, uh, on research. So these are just practical uh, ideas. Yeah. Excellent. Jean? So let me not conclude because it's an ongoing fight, but some words. You mentioned the AMR Industry Alliance. Uh, number one, it, TB is part of the target. As diagnosis, diagnosis companies are really intimately associated to that. And if we sum up all the efforts, so we have currently 10 new antibiotics under development, 13 AMR-related vaccines, and 18 new diagnosis tests. So there is some light at the end of the tunnel there. But I, I, I agree that, as I said several times, we can't do this in isolation. Uh, neither Sanofi, GSK, Novartis, JNJ, or whatever uh, academic uh, public, uh, how brilliant it could be, we need to, to all work together to build the capacity mass. As I say, we need to understand first. Understand before you try to sell a solution, as my former boss would say. So understanding is based on the mechanism of action. And we know that the bacteria, the viruses, and these are very intelligent animals. They yes. know how to overcome on defense for centuries. 
So when we understand that, we realize that there are many different mechanisms. The more we, we enter to the nitty-gritty, so then we can really target the molecular me mechanisms and, and do what, you know, kind of precision medicines. And this is varying according to the HLA genes, etc. to the extra level of complexity. So we, we can get there. And to conclude, I think one of the, you know, the industry, the developers, the research I'm part of, they say, it's not concrete, you say, now it's a time to drive theoretical discussions into action. Okay, Charles. Yes, the new EU budget, of course, is ultimately in the hands of our member states. There are cogent reasons to think that that budget is value for money. The one cup of coffee per day per citizen, average cost. I think in the areas like pooled money for research, money on exchange of information between member states and good practice to avoid duplication and, and, and have a critical mass... There are very cogent arguments why that's money's well spent. My back-of-the-envelope calculation is that our expenditure on AMR is less than one cup of coffee a year, and that on the public health programme, which is a programme that I am responsible for putting my input into and what we do on various things, including, for example, our contributions to ACD on uh, AMR work, uh, is only 10 cents per citizen per year, approximately. So I think there's room when our parliamentarians examine these programmes and, uh, and, our, and our superiors in, in for looking at the various where various value added is and, and matching that up with our priorities, and I hope that will uh, come through. Um, we do... Have take very, very seriously all that's been said on the business models and incentives. We've funded the Drive AB programme, which has uh, examined this in detail and looked at scenarios, looked at forward planning, looked at the costs, and we are feeding that into the discussions which are taking place in the G20 now with this research hub and with our partners through the Transatlantic Task Force on Antimicrobial Resistance who will meet uh, in March, where they've got uh, com complementary research programs to us, where we're coordinating through, uh, I can see my, my colleague from the you know, uh, research program sitting in the audience, uh, he's spending a lot of time coordinating with funders worldwide. And I'm cautiously optimistic, we're not there yet, as everyone said, that we will find a way of... Uh, adjusting the business models uh, to making them more uh, attractive and, and unblocking this pipeline, as has been mentioned on the TV front. There are good examples and reasons why we can be optimistic, but there's still a huge amount of work ahead of us, not only on the research side, but also in health systems, on the ground, in agricultural systems, in the new area of environment and crops and AMR. Yeah. that we need to do in the next three or four years ahead before this problem really hits us uh, seriously. Thank okay. You. Well, thank you very much to our panel and our audience. I think it's been a really lively uh, crash course for those of you um, who, to understand all the different elements in it. Let me just say this from Friends of Europe point of view. Um, five years ago, when there was the changeover of the mandate, we, we had a working group which identified 21 recommendations on what the EU should stop doing, start doing, or doing differently. And one of our recommendations said we should stop doing things that don't work. And given that 50% of antibiotics are inappropriately used in human health and more in animal health, we are going to be re constituting our conversations within Friends of Europe, and we will be exploring in the next 12 months where you should have an investment strategy for health and a disinvestment strategy. So I'm sure some of the elements we've picked up on, on the perverse incentive problems around diagnostics versus antibiotics, the issue about linking animal and human health and making sure we don't have duplication and, wealth and waste, that will be picked up in that conversation. So thank you very much for participating. I hope you enjoyed it. Can we show a, a round of applause to our panel, please?